Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you this evening as accepted as righteous in your sight. Clothed only in the righteousness of Christ and received by faith alone. Thank you that you've called us and justified us and are in the business of sanctifying us. And our glorification is so sure that Paul speaks about it in the past tense. Thank you, God, that we belong to such a body of believers as this one, where men seek to hold the offices that you have established for the health and care and shepherding and nurture of your church. And the men who hold these offices now do so with great honor and a desire to glorify Christ and build up his people. We pray, Lord, for these men who are here this evening, who are going to be thinking about and pursuing, perhaps, and at least wrestling with the opportunity or the legitimacy of a, of a call that they may feel to hold office in Christ's church. I ask that you would speak clearly to them and use your word and the wisdom of the collected years of Christian experience here, especially among the session and diaconate that exists now, to help steer and guide their thinking and direct them in the path that you would have them to go. As we talk about the diaconate, Lord, we want to give thanks for such a group of men as we have uh, who care about the physical needs of so many in our church, the material things, the, the properties that Christ Covenant Church owns, the benevolence uh, that she is engaged in, um, the care of our widows and shut-ins and, and others to a large degree. Lord, thank you for the example that they put forward, that they live out daily and that we see evidence from week to week, even in the small things that we know are cared for here in our facility. So as we look at this now, Lord, would you help us to be clear about qualifications, responsibilities, and especially as they're concerned here, particularly in this local church, that we would be faithful to continue to pursue uh, your glory and the good of your people in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> Ben did not know that I had failed to accomplish my goal of printing off the uh, diaconate responsibilities paper that's here on the screen for you, but he made up for it with the Klondike bars. So, he just kind of swooped in. This is what a good diaconate does, to kind of swoop in and make up uh, support and help the session, reinforce, I think it says here in our, uh, our first paragraph. So uh, the structure and responsibilities of the diaconate is our topic for this evening. There was no reading assigned to you from the Hall book. However, on page 175, um, Hall does give a brief, about a page, 175 to 176, of deacon's duties. He references BCO 9 quite a bit. That's the PCA's form of government. So if you're from there or familiar, you'll see some some overlap with the language that's in our church's position paper and some differences as well. Uh, I don't know necessarily that we'll get here tonight, although the question may arise about who is qualified to hold the office of deacon. And what I mean by that is women deacons Obviously, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church provides space for local churches to put 
women on their diaconate also to not do that, right? So that's within the bounds of a local church's accession's authority to restrict the office to men only, which is where Christ's covenant church lands uh, and, and is our practice here. Uh, the PCA, however, has no women deacons in any of their churches. Uh, although if you're following closely with some of what uh, goes on in the blogosphere and, and so forth, uh, you may be aware that there are kind of ways around that for the churches that really desire to find ways around it, and they're growing increasingly clever. Our, just for you men to bear in mind uh, as we come upon um, over the next 10 or 11 months, uh, our denomination is in the throes of wrestling with this position uh, right now and making either uh, ratifying its current standing or shifting to a male-only diaconate. And so that's been, uh, I use the term, I don't mean it pejoratively, the can has been kicked down the road the last two synods uh, dealing with this topic. And so it, it'll be something that, that I would encourage you to pray about, that the, um, that the presbyters and the ministers and so forth, the delegates who go to synod in, in the next 12 months, uh, will have wisdom uh, to deal with this topic biblically and pastorally. Um, so that's on uh, the agenda over the next 12 months. Irrespective of the direction it goes, it won't have a, a, a significant impact on Christ's covenant church in practice, uh, but it's something to be aware of. So uh, this is our church's position paper on the structure and responsibilities of the diaconate. You can see that this was, a, this was adopted in May of 2016, so this predates me here by quite a while, and perhaps many or most of you as well. Um, and so there may be some particular questions that you have related to the relationship between the session and the diaconate. For example, the budget is one of the big topics that often gets brought up in this particular leadership training class. What's the relationship between budget development and the session's oversight of that and acceptance of it? Uh, That's, just to be totally transparent, that's really Eric's uh, strength. That's his area that he has leaned on for years. Um, DeWitt is also heavily involved in that as the elder who has direct connection with the diaconate, the elder over the diaconate. And so Eric will be teaching your class two Sundays from now uh, on the session and their responsibilities and duties, and he will touch on that then. So if you do have questions about the financial component in particular, especially you men who aspire to the office of deacon, just hold on to those. Uh, He will do a far better job than I could this evening talking about that uh, particular topic. Yes, sir. Okay, that's helpful to know. Uh, and many of you guys know Eric and, and know his, his qualification to do such a thing. So the qualifications of a deacon, this is directly out of our ARP uh, form of government, or as it's affectionately known, the FOG. You've heard of FOG in the pulpit as a miss in the pew, right? So there's a reason we call it that. Uh, we're trying to work through that right now, actually. Uh, so this is taken from chapter 5. The office of deacon as set forth in Scripture, so right off the bat, we acknowledge that this is a biblical office, 
Okay, uh, and so this is not something that the, that churches throughout history have decided to institute in order to help them out or to find a way for guys who aren't quite elders in order to serve in the church. Uh, th- that notion is not found in Scripture. Rather, the office of deacon is set forth in Scripture as an ordinary and perpetual office to be held in the church. The office of deacon is one of sympathy and service after the example of Christ. I love those two Uh, those two terms there, sympathy and service. So for you men in particular who are thinking that the diaconate is in your future, whether immediately or in the near future, these are terms that other people ought to be able to say about you. That you're the sort of person who has a heart for caring and a heart for serving. You remember the institution of the diaconate in Acts chapter 6? It arose over dispute of the distribution of food to the, to the widows, specifically the Hellenistic Jews, weren't getting their fair share. And so when the elders, the uh, apostles, asked for seven men of good repute to come forward, they were looking for men who would have the sort of compassionate disposition to actually be interested to going helping these women who were in need. Right? It's not ju- they're not just a bunch of logisticians who are able to divvy up the, the bread evenly among all the people, but they're the sort of people who need to go forward and care for uh, people in need. Sympathy and service. And again, after the example of Christ, uh, illustrations, examples abound of Christ's sympathy towards people who are in need and the way that he cared for people in acts of mercy. Uh, and so the office of deacon is no less modeled after the earthly ministry of Christ than the office of elder is. This office should be chosen, excuse me, to this office should be chosen individuals who are faithful and diligent Christians. So some of this coming out of 1 Timothy 3 is going to be fairly obvious. We know, we've read the qualifications before. I trust that you've read them and have thought them through. And, and we'll get to some of this as we go through. But the word that, that's included here in our FOG is diligent. A diligent man should be appointed to the office of the diaconate. Because you, you may discover this. <clears throat> I remember when I got out of the military, um, there were several blocks of years within my time in the service where I had, was in charge of a, a fairly large number of men. And it always, it was kind of a, you know, Murphy's Law being what is it, what it is, right in the middle of a date with my wife on Saturday evening or right at 2 p.m. when the REM sleep finally hits or whatever, that's when you get the phone call that somebody got arrested or somebody got a DUI or somebody got into a fight with somebody or whatever the case may be. That's kind of the Murphy's Law of being a staff NCO or an officer in the military. My lieutenant was always kind of anxiously awaiting a phone call from like 2 to 4 a.m. Because that's when they showed up. The diaconate needs to be is somewhat like that. You need to be diligently expecting to serve people in their moment of need. Um, especially as the diaconate is particularly oriented towards mercy. Uh, service and sympathy can be summarized as mercy uh, in the church. Uh, I, re- I recommend this book. <clears throat> this book is not on your reading list, personal uh, kind of plug here, I guess, Cornelius Van Dam's The Deacon, uh, and his subtitle is Biblical Foundation for Today's Ministry of Mercy. Uh, It's a good partner for the book that was in your, um, 
Yeah, the reading list. Thank you. Uh, the Paul's Vision for the Deacons by Strauch, Alexander Strauch. And there's a lot of uh, overlap between the two of them. But the fact that Van Dam calls it a ministry of mercy is significant. So it's a, a man who is faithful and diligent and has good character, honest repute, exemplary life, brotherly love, sympathetic, there it is again, nature, sound judgment. Where does this come from? This comes from Acts chapter 6, right? Find men who are full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Those are the two, the two initial qualifiers given in Acts chapter 6 who are qualified under the standards recorded in Scripture. That's the rest of them from 1 Timothy. So if this is what you aspire to, the office of deacon, this point two here, according to our denominational form of government and Scripture, this ought to be a fairly good representation of who you are as a man. And now let me give you a little bit of advice that I give young men who are pursuing marriage. I do a lot of premarital counseling and a lot of discipleship with young men, teenagers, late teenagers, early 20s, who are talking about marriage. And I say to all of them, without fail, be the sort of man that won't need to change who he is once he gets married in order to be a godly husband. You don't want to be aimlessly wandering through the woods, hoping some good-looking girl will find you, decide to follow you around, and hope that together you can find a path to walk on. Be on the path. Be a man of godly character. Act like what the Bible calls you to as a godly husband now, so when that girl sees you walking through the woods, she goes, oh, I can already follow him, and he'll already be the sort of man that I'll need in my life as a godly husband. And so if you're thinking about the diaconate, I want to discourage you from looking at this list and going, I would love to be a deacon, and once I am, I'm really going to work on that sound judgment thing. Uh, but that tends to be, that's the kind of cart before the horse mentality. And we live in a culture of, you know, drive-through, fast food sort of lifestyle. And the church can kind of turn into that if we're not very careful. Where people try to just kind of drive through and get the food. And then uh, hopefully I'll do enough workout afterwards to make up for this double cheeseburger. So watch out for looking at this list. Honestly, prayerfully look at yourself in light of these qualifications in First Timothy and this bullet point two here. And say, am, is that who I am? Now, all of us should say in honest humility, not at all without the Holy Spirit. Not at all without the Holy Spirit. I mean, I might make good decisions, car buying, sure. That's not what sound judgment means here. I might like people and be a decent friend. That's not the brotherly love that we see exemplified in Christ and what we read in 1 John. These are spirit-given traits of a new, uh, uh, reborn person in Christ. So, in honest humility, not at all, but in uh, uh, honest evaluation in light of uh, the Holy Spirit's work in my life, I want these things to be true of me, yes? Uh, number three, a deacon shall be a member in good standing of the congregation, actively sharing in the worship and service of the church and giving particular emphasis to the duties of his office. So the membership thing there is a pre-qualifier. Uh, that's, uh, there's a number of practical reasons why that's true here at Christ Covenant Church and in the ARP. <clears throat> my, my real emphasis here is not the member bit, but the actively sharing in worship uh, with the congregation. It's, it's such a blessing to a member of a church. Now, maybe none of you have ever been in the position to need the help of the, de- the, the deacons on a weekly basis or in your life, or even sought the counsel of the session or of an elder in particular, your shepherding elder. But to see the men who hold office in the church actively worshiping ought to be an encouragement to your heart. 
It ought to be an encouragement that they're hearing the prayers and joining their hearts and confessing and praying together. They know who the pregnant gals are in the church because they're hearing them prayed for. They know who's suffering from cancer and they're actively working to help them out. They see you sitting by yourself when you're normally not and they come to you and ask what's going on. There's something about actively engaging in the worship with the church that ought to be part and parcel of holding office in the church. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you're an elder or deacon, you're required to be at every morning and every evening worship. That's a that's an extra biblical rule that I'm not establishing for you now. But what we are saying is that as an officer in the church, you should be an active participant in the worship of that church in order to faithfully serve and to know how to sympathize with our members. So what's the purpose then of the diaconate? Is that scrolling? Okay, good. The purpose of the diaconate, number one, is benevolence. It shall be responsible for the congregation's ministry to those in material need or distress and all such things as can be covered by the term mercy ministry. Notice whose ministry it is. It doesn't say the diaconate is responsible for the session's mercy ministry to the sheep. It says that the diaconate is responsible for the congregation's ministry to those in material need. Men on the diaconate are stewarding the resources that the church gives them that the, the congregation gives them in order to help those in need. And so there's a, the relationship is not elders to deacons to people in need. It's church through the deacons to people in need. This is a, an arm of the church's ministry. And so your representatives of the congregation, in part, right, think again to Acts chapter 6, choose from where? Among yourselves, that's right. Seven men of good repute who are full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. Uh, who are able to do these things. And we'll come to the reasons why here shortly. So benevolence, mercy ministry, it's an extension of the congregations. The session isn't, isn't writing checks to the diaconate to hand out money for mercy ministry. Those monies come from the congregation. They're designated funds often. People give to the church in order to help others who are in need, and they entrust those things to the diaconate. So that's why you need to be uh, qualified according to the biblical qualifications. The needs of those who are within the congregation shall be given first priority, and then those outside, the needs outside the congregation. We talked about this the last time I spoke here, so I'll leave that uh, as it stands. Stop me with any questions. Number two. Yes, sir, Rick. Yes, Absolutely. Right. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And 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 sometimes there's no money involved at all. Um, and all all I intend to convey is that there's not that sort of uh, ATM or Mac machine if you're from Pittsburgh uh, relationship with a diaconate from the session. Uh, Those monies do come from the church, particularly for benevolence. Stewardship. Uh, It shall also encourage practice of total stewardship among the members of the congregation, encouraging tithing in particular, a general spirit of liberality and hospitality towards their fellow saints, as well as the world, and helping them to see that their possessions are a trust to keep before the Lord. So this is very reflective of what we just talked about moments ago, that the diaconate is... uh, exercising stewardship of, uh, they're an extension of the congregation's ministry. 
It shall plan in collaboration with the session. Here's kind of that overlap, that, uh, that uh, necessary link that exists. The causes towards which, toward which the offerings of the congregation shall be directed. Uh, devise effective methods for securing and receiving these offerings, and so on and so forth. You can see, uh, you can read that for yourself. So I'm, I'm going to leave some of this, the, the causes towards which the offering of the congregation shall be directed, effective methods for securing, and so forth. I'm going to leave that for when Eric makes the link between the session and the diaconate in two Sundays when he talks about it. But the stewardship element is a big part of it. Again, just as, a, as a, an overview of what is the diaconate's Responsibility Again, this comes, you can't see it here, more from the FOG, right? So this is coming out of uh, uh, ARP, Form of Government, 5.5 to 5.8. Care of the facility, property, and grounds. Um, This is a growing responsibility here at Christ Covenant Church, isn't it? Ben can probably attest to this more than anybody else here, that uh, what it meant to serve on the diaconate here several years ago, it's, it's slightly evolved because we have this beautiful commons loft and the fellowship hall behind us and the grounds and the new parking area, and we're about to do a lot of work in the sanctuary. And all of those things fall under the responsibility of the diaconate to have care of the general property of the congregation, um, in matters requiring extraordinary expenditure for acquisition, construction, alteration, consent of the congregation is required. So you've been on the receiving end of this already as we've put forward uh, plans and um, conversations have been had, meetings have been had concerning the building development that's going on in the future. More on, uh, will follow shortly, I'm sure. Um, if you have any questions, talk to Will. <laughs> Okay, any questions on the purpose of the diaconate or the qualifications as we've addressed them so far? Okay. Yes, sir. I think that's an excellent point. I think that's an excellent use of the men who are given to oversee those things for our church. Uh, you know that, so the relationship between household and church and officer in the church is so evident in Scripture, right? If a man's not able to manage his own household, how will he be able to manage the household of God? And so forth, the husband of one wife, it's reflective of Christ in the church, and so on. So there's a lot of overlap between both uh, elders and deacons in their homes and in the church. And so men who are called to steward the church's money ought to be faithful stewards of their own and therefore equipped to counsel and guide younger people in the church or older even who are struggling in those areas. So I absolutely think so. In fact, uh, it's happened to me at least once where I've had a, a younger person come to talk to me about financial decisions and I've purposefully steered them toward a man on the, on the diaconate who is able to sit down and talk with them about those things because that, to a degree anyway, falls outside the purview of my pastoral office of ministry of the word and prayer, uh, financial wisdom and so forth. That may be a conversation that happens in passing, uh, but I can't be putting aside large blocks of time to do, you know, to read Dave Ramsey with some young man who wants to get married uh, when I have pastoral responsibility. So absolutely, I think that's a really good uh, use of our diaconate. 
That doesn't mean there aren't men on the session who are brilliant at handling money and finances uh, and who may have just a desire in their shepherding role to do so as they meet with families and talk. Uh, but to your point, I think that's a good use of the diaconate. So relationship to the session, in the discharge of its duties, the diaconate is a board of and under the supervision and authority of the session. The congregational budget and other important financial decisions require the approval of the session prior to presentation to the congregation. So this is, again, a form of government um, structure that's in place, the relationship that exists between the diaconate and the session, the diaconate therefore being a... uh, Board of and under the supervision and authority of the session. The session shall have authority to void or amend any action of the diaconate or return it for further consideration. Um, so that, that's a statement. Um, I, I can't speak intelligently to, the, uh, to how frequently something like that has happened at Christ Covenant Church. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily relevant either to our conversation this evening. Our goal in bringing on qualified men is to prayerfully expect that this isn't going to be a frequent issue that gets brought up, that there's some great division between the diaconate and the session, right? We're all seeking to have on on both groups men who are qualified according to Scripture, who put their pride aside and the church and Christ first, who are focused on the exercising of their particular official responsibilities. And so the, the opportunities for great disagreement ought to be uh, marginal at best. And when they, then when they do happen, if they do happen, uh, we apply biblical principles and wisdom to those things. Uh, but our form of government makes it explicit that the uh, session reserves the right to void or amend and that the diaconate is under the supervision and authority of the session. So here now, uh, in our last half hour, we're going to get out, we're out of the fog now. I hope you feel that happening. The sun is breaking through the fog. Uh, the, the analogies abound, don't they? Um, metaphors, maybe. So this is Christ's Covenant Church. This is specific. This is our paper, the responsibilities of the diaconate at Christ's Covenant Church. So we're taking the, uh, our governmental structure, our polity, as far as our denomination is concerned, and applying it practically here at our church. Now, I apologize. If you received an email from me containing a paper on the diaconate responsibilities, you're probably asking yourself, who's Jason? And who's Adam and Carl? Because there's these names all over this. There were two PDF files in our uh, internal position papers. And one of them was the one that you see on your screen here, which is called CCC Diaconate. And the other one is called CCC Diaconate Responsibilities, which is what I emailed you. So if you have that, delete it or ignore it or, you know, white out or whatever you need. Um, That's an old edited one for... um, practical purposes. So we'll just ignore that if you've got it printed off. I know some of you have printed them off, uh, but this is the blank one. Maybe what I'll do is I'll email this one out to you guys tomorrow uh, so you have it. A healthy church, this is, again, this is Christ Covenant Church speaking now, is one where the session can be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer, keeping watch over the souls of the people that God has entrusted to us as those who will have to give an account. So you've got Acts chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 13 here. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, is one of those places that I refer to as a text that terrifies. 
So just crossing the bridge here to the session. You men here who aspire to the office of overseer, if you're not reading Hebrews 13, 17 on a daily basis and praying to God that you would be given the courage and the strength of his spirit to fulfill that office should you be called, I think that you're setting yourself and your church up for long-term failure. This is a terrifying text be that you will have to give an account for the souls of those with whom you've been entrusted to care for. The diaconate makes that possible for us on the session. A healthy church is one where the session can be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's what Ephesians 6 says. Obviously, the, elder, the apostles in Ephesians 6 are not belittling the need to serve food. The, the whole reason that they form the diaconate is because the distribution is not happening properly. And so clearly, they care about the material and physical needs of these Hellenistic Jewish widows. They care that they, that they have sympathy for them, just like the diaconate does. And they want them to be served and cared for. But they say, our responsibility we can't devote ourselves to that because we've been given this to do, prayer and the ministry of the Word. Have, have I used the airplane analogy here in this setting before? Um, so the con- Christ Covenant Church is an airplane. What's the best? Delta is the best? Is Delta the best? We're certainly not united. What's the, what's the best airline out there? Delta probably? Okay, so Christ Covenant Church, we're a big Delta airplane. What do we got? What is it? I heard another airline. Somebody, so Lufthansa. Okay, so there we go. So we're uh, yeah, we have Reformation. Okay, we're German. Um, so we're we're on an uh, uh, overseas flight uh, for the course of the duration of the lives of the members of this church. And the session has been tasked with flying the plane and ensuring that it's going in the right direction, communicating safety, communicate. There's turbulence ahead. Buckle up. Clicking the little button that says, you know, you can use the restroom now. Please sit down and buckle up for your safety. We're flying on a heading. We've been given an azimuth, and we're following that to the destination which the Lord has given us, that vision that the session is responsible for casting, the direction that we go. And so we're flying across the ocean, and the diaconate is back in the plane, feeding and caring for and getting blankets for people and making sure that the restrooms are functioning and that the food is coming on time and that this little child who's struggling is taken care of and this person's sick and so they go to see if there's a doctor on the plane, for example, and they're caring for the needs of the people. Now, if the pilots of the plane said to one another, you know what would be really nice? I'll bet everybody would be really, I mean, honored if we went back there and fed them their evening meal. Can you imagine the pilots coming out and walking down and pushing the cart and feeding the evening meal? How honored would people feel? And think about the flight attendants. Oh, they're on their feet all day long. Oh, this whole flight, they've been on their feet walking back and forth up the aisles, dealing with some cranky people from time to time, you know, and getting peanuts and water for people. Let's give them a break. We're going to give them a break, and everyone will feel really cared for if we do that. And so the pilots leave the cockpit, walk to the back, and begin feeding the passengers of the plane. Everybody loves it. Passengers love it. Think about, oh, how special do I feel right now? The pilot is bringing me my dinner. The flight attendants love it. They're sitting back in the jump seats with their feet up, just kind of resting and relaxing and having a Coke, right? And what nobody notices is that the entire time that this is happening, the plane is descending slowly towards the ocean. And if you know anything about planes and oceans, they don't go well together. The plane crashes. 
the church crashes because those given to the office of elder are trying to be deacons. You see the problem there? It's not that the work of caring for the needs of the passengers is beneath anybody or less than some other responsibility. It's just different. And the diaconate enables the session to be devoted to flying the plane and communicating safety measures to the passengers. And so we need to make sure that there's a, there's a, 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 a delineation between the two and that the men who serve on each recognize why their office is so important to the whole health of the church. The diaconate in their office of service here, second sentence, uh, exists to care for the physical needs of the congregation and church so that the session can remain focused on the spiritual needs. Again, speaking to you men who aspire to the office of deacon, this, is, this has to be what your heart's desire is, is to open the door, to pave the way, to, to keep things oiled so that way the session can operate the way it's supposed to. The session is responsible for leading the church, casting vision, making decisions for the glory of God and the good of his people. The diaconate then serves as agents of the session, seeking to reinforce the decisions of the session and facilitate the realization of the vision through any means available. And here's, notice the parallel here, same exact sentence, for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. Same, same job, same mission, same goal, same congregation, same love for the sheep. And so there's that, there's that partnership that exists that we need to emphasize uh, between the session and the diaconate. To this end, the responsibilities of the diaconate at Christ's Covenant Church are listed below. There are five areas. Uh, one deacon will be placed as the lead over each area and will be responsible for communicating to the session and organizing other deacons or volunteers in the church to ensure that all the work is completed in a timely manner. And so this is where discipleship comes in. You men who <coughs> love having younger men or newer Christians come alongside you, you love coming alongside of them and seeing them grow in grace and Christian maturity, this is where that opportunity lives, is where you're tasked with overseeing a particular area of ministry, and you say, you know, uh, so-and-so here, he just, he just has that, sort of, that disposition, I feel like he would be a great partner in this, and you, help, you start to employ members of the church in the, in the stewardship of these things, obviously uh, keeping the, the boundaries of the office secure. So here are the five areas. Excuse me. We've already touched on three of these from our uh, form of government. And so I will scroll here so we can see the first couple. Uh, I'll just give you the rundown here at uh, Christ Covenant Church as we practically live out what our form of government says related to uh, the responsibilities of the diaconate. Number one, under benevolence, care for those in material need or distress. Now, so this is, I hope, a softball question, but what does it require of the diaconate in order to be able to do this? And the answer is not that they have the means to help them. What must the diaconate have access to in order to fulfill 1A, care for those in need? They have to have time. That's a good one. So Kevin says time. They need time to do it. They need the resources to do it. The information, Adam. They need the information about who is in material need and distress, and where do they get that? Through relationships. Through relationships. 
the diaconate, none of, none of this, hopefully this is not true, hopefully nobody has this impression here, I, I have not found it to be true, that the session and the diaconate are isolated from the congregation, and when little slips of paper get slidden under the door, we pick them up and go, all right, we can do that. That's not, that's not what it should look like. Rather, it's relationship within this church, a body of believers caring for one another. And here's where that body language comes into play. If you've ever injured a toe... Isn't it interesting that your pinky toe has more to do with your balance than your big toe? So, you know, when climbers get frostbite, it's the pinky toe they're afraid of losing because it has more to do with your walking balance than your big toe does. Just try walking. Nobody walks like this, like on their big toes. When you walk, your foot rolls out and rolls towards the front outside, towards your pinky toe. And so when you injure your pinky toe by kicking the corner of your bed in the middle of the night, your back starts to hurt three days later because you're kind of, you're tenderfooting like this. And then your other knee on the opposite leg starts to hurt because you're pushing off of it a little hard, right? Or maybe you knock a tooth back, and so now you can't chew on that side of your mouth, so the other side starts to hurt, you know what I mean? Sorry, Johnny. (laughs) So, but if that's the case, what the, the point is simply this. As the body is connected to itself, it should be aware of pain in other parts of the body. So let me ask you, man, a question. Do you know now even who among us at Christ Covenant Church is hurting and suffering and going through difficult times? I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot or question your relationships or the depths of fellowship that you have with people here at the church. But if you intend to serve as an officer in this church, you need to have real, vital, and meaningful relationships with people in the church, families, singles, older, younger, men, and women appropriately, so that you know who is in material need or distress. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how is the diaconate ever going to exercise point one? You can't get past point one A if you don't have relationships in the church. It's that significant. And so be men of the church, churchmen as they're known, men who love the church and not the facade of the church, or even the worship in the church, but the people, the church, right? Members of the congregation are given first priority, and then those outside, we've already said, each situation shall be handled with care and anonymity. Uh, and so we don't want to, this is, there's some sensitive uh, element to this, where there may be somebody that none of us even know has come to the diaconate and asked for help, and, and it should be that way. Uh, in certain cases, right? We certainly don't, um, the term has been misappropriated, so I don't mean it the way it sounds, but we don't want to out people uh, in their need if that's not their desire. Uh, But again, I don't want to walk back what I said earlier. There should be some relationship there. The deacon in charge of benevolence should be in close communication with the session when any need is known, whether financial or not, to aid the elder in his shepherding duties. Uh, so just as a, by way of example, Rick is a member of the session, an elder here. He has a shepherding group of families and individuals that he's responsible for. And if something comes up in his uh, elder responsibilities or a need is presented, he may say to them, well, let me communicate with the diaconate about getting you resources that you need. And that's part of, that's where the handoff kind of happens. That's how the diaconate aids the elder in his shepherding duties. Yes, sir, Ben. <laughs> Right. So as Rick would be praying with someone or in someone's home from a word of worship, he would be looking around, asking if there's any physical needs, and then he would relate that to the deacon that he's prepared. Right, the particular de- deacon. Absolutely, that's a good point. Thank you, Ben.
Uh, number two, then, stewardship. Again, we went through this, so let me breeze through because we've got a little bit more to cover. Uh, weekly duties associated with counting, recording, depositing of tithes and offerings. Counting and recording of attendance at morning and evening worship services. You guys have probably, everybody knows exactly who this is when I do this, right? Who is this? It's Paul. That's right. Because he's walking around counting people right before or after the offering, sometimes during the pastoral prayer. And so what he's doing is he's keeping an accurate record of who's in the church. I love, I, it's, almost, it's almost a moment of, of um, it, it, it's, a stable, it's a stabilizing moment for me sitting up on the dais when I look out and see Paul counting members of the church. I love seeing him do that. I know that he's keeping track of the people who are here so we can accurately and faithfully pray for them. Uh, Counting and recording of attendance and so forth. Weekly approval and signing of checks for payments prepared by the church treasurer, uh, who is Eric Ostertag. Monthly communication with the church treasurer to ensure accurate accounting for expenses and income. Uh, monthly review of the church's financial statements prepared by the treasurer to communicate to the session and to highlight trends in giving and spending, and yearly review of the church's budget and recommendations for the next year's budget, which we just went through over the last couple months, if you recall from our last few congregational meetings. Um, this is actually serious stuff, so, and it's not because we're a church that exists under the auspices of the federal government that requires certain you know, tax regulations and payments to be made and so forth, but rather this is a matter of doing things organized and well uh, for God's glory and not spending as we shouldn't be or trending as we shouldn't be and not giving what we shouldn't be or recognizing when there's a need to communicate with families in the church about things like tithes and offering. Uh, just as a, an aside, as a, uh, one of the pastors here at the church, I keep a detailed monthly expense report that gets submitted on the first of every month. So next Monday, not this one, next Monday, Eric will get an email from me that includes a PDF photograph of every single receipt uh, that I've uh, expended over the last month, plus a detailed Excel spreadsheet with the dates and times and locations and purposes of all those things. And he keeps a very accurate record of those things to ensure, why? To ensure that Christ's covenant church's money is being stewarded well. Remember, right? This is an extension of the the congregation's funds. Uh, Facility, property, and grounds. Uh, maintenance and upkeep of the facility, property, and grounds, definition and yearly review of the sexton's job description. I know you all just went through that again. Oh, you guys can't see it. Yep. Yes, we did. Okay, so this is something that happens, just ensuring that, uh, that the sexton's job is accurate and reflective of the church's needs, and who better than the diaconate to uh, identify those things. Ensuring that the facility, mechanicals, and all property is kept in good working order. Uh, We could add E here, which might say weekly uh, dealing with Wi-Fi issues. That could be letter E, perhaps. Uh, Ensuring that the grounds are well cared for. Look outside. Our church is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, for those of you, let's act like Ben's not here. For those of you, whether you want to be a deacon or not, we should just be very thankful for the work that's done here at Christ Covenant Church to keep our building God-glorifying in excellence. Uh, from the lawn mowing to the plants and the lights that spotlight the plants, we just had a, a HVAC overhaul in the staff house, which I am grateful for. Uh, my, my study is kind of the add-on that got uh, some time after the main building was built, and so there was like one little vent, and it was basically, it was basically like somebody with cold breath breathing through a straw under a desk that I don't sit at. 
Uh, and so if, the, if Michael Ann was 70 degrees, it was probably 79 to 80 in my study. And so now we've got this whole, but that's the deacons. They're taking care of this stuff and caring for the staff and for the congregation. And so it's a real service, a real ministry to the church. And frankly, that building over there, old as it may be, is an extension of my pastoral ministry and Neil's and Chris's work as the director of ministry as we meet with people in the congregation. I disciple and counsel and prepare sermons and so forth over there. And so the fact that they're caring for that building to ensure that it's comfortable and suitable for my needs and Neil's needs and so forth is a service to enable us to faithfully exercise our office of prayer and ministry of the word. Really, those things go hand in glove. So it's a blessing to have uh, a good facility and a diaconate that cares about those things. Now, here's the two that you don't find uh, on the form of government, but that are included in our church's position paper. Uh, Risk and security. Yearly review of adequacy of the church's insurance policy. This is a very important one, letter B. Ensure adherence to the child protection policy, application and background checks, checks, etc. for new workers. Uh, Child protection obviously is receiving uh, um, a significant amount of attention in our day and age. Not that it ever should have been ignored, but it's certainly prevalent. It's certainly uh, on the high up on the list of priorities at most churches, or at least it should be. And we take it very seriously, the care of our children, some of your children and my children, that the workers who are in the nursery and who are caring for them uh, are uh, able to do so, that we can feel safe with them, being in the proximity of our youth and our children. And that's a risk and security issue. Definition and implementation of security plans for events at the church, door locking, etc. So you see that letter C there. You know, don't, don't miss this. Some of you guys are on security. Glenn, are you the lead for security? So Glenn, Glenn here is a part of that, and some of you other guys serve on security as well. There is a, you know, a lot of people come to worship on Sunday morning and then come back on Sunday evening and then maybe they come to Friday morning Bible study. I think Friday morning Bible study might be the only time throughout the week, and that's just because we kind of expect the men that are there are pretty well equipped to take care of themselves. But it's the only time we don't have security here or we don't have the doors locked and covered and cared for and we don't have implements and things in place implemented in order to protect the people who are here for women who are meeting or for an event that happens and so forth. And so it's a, it's a great responsibility. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. You picture the duck right on top of the water, just calmly floating around and under the water, its legs are going constantly like this. It's chaos under the water. And that's what the diaconate is involved in uh, on a, on a kind of day to day, just to make you guys aware of that and thankful for it. Ensure the church building is secured after each event, an imminent threat response plan. I think that's just Patrick. Uh, I don't know if there's more to it than that. But, so this is part of the diaconate, yeah? Uh, they, They care for the security of our church. We live in a day and age where this is an important consideration for a church. Um, And, and our men who are charged with ensuring the safety of everyone from the staff and pastoral team to the members and visitors to the children and the elderly who are walking to their cars after the service is taken very seriously and they do a fine job at it. Uh, Worship services. I think this splits a page, so I'll just start here. 
Uh, weekly running of the soundboard at morning and evening worship. Um, you guys may not know it, but Lou is back there, and he oversees Sky, who is our uh, out-of-house soundboard expert. Who She does an excellent job. This is everything from recording uh, to muting, so that way nobody in the fellowship hall has to listen to me sing alone or Rick sing alone where the mic stays on, right? And all you can hear, that's, ha- I mean, once in a while. Uh, but this is part of what's, what the uh, worship service oversight looks like. Ensuring that the wireless mics and audio equipment are kept in good working order. Weekly recording of the sermons and posting, um, uh, excuse me, posting on sermonaudio.com. Organizing the ushers to collect tithes and offering during the service. Ensuring the sanctuary is returned to a clean state at the end of every worship service. And there's a number of uh, subcategories there. Ben, correct me if I'm wrong. The diaconate also uh, prepares the elements for the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday. Yeah. So the wine and juice and the bread, that's all prepared for, brought out, laid out on the table. And all of those things happen under the supervision and and care of the diaconate. So as you can see, we're going to get to these last two little bits here and then then we'll be done. Um, the majority of the diaconate's responsibilities are very, very practical, tangible, physical. That in no way, in no way minimizes that the qualifications for the diaconate are almost exclusively spiritual and character-based. There's not a First uh, Timothy chapter 3 doesn't say, you know, not a new convert and strong because there's a lot of physical work to be done. Rather, it's a person who, what did it say back at the very beginning? Sympathy and service, brotherly love, honest repute, sympathetic nature, diligent Christian of good character, actively sharing in the worship and service of the church. That's what we're looking for. And so some of you are stronger than others and may feel more physically equipped than others, but our concern is not that you can turn a wrench faster than the guy sitting to your left or to your right, but that you love the brethren and desire to serve with an honest and pure heart uh, in Christ's church. So they are practical, they are tangible, they are material, uh, but the qualifications remain a spiritual matter. Once again, I turn your attention to Acts chapter 6. Choose from among yourselves seven men of good repute who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So we have a facility team at Christ Covenant Church, and it is a team appointed by the session to cast a vision for the facility that God has entrusted to us and to implement that vision as funds allow. The facility team is generally responsible for specifying and implementing any upgrades or improvements to the facility in keeping with the session's vision. The diaconate is responsible for maintenance of the existing facility. So there's some, uh, there's some disconnect, although our facility team includes a member of our diaconate. Uh, the diaconate should work closely with the facility team to ensure efficient, clean hands-off or handoffs and to ensure that the facility is properly maintained. In other words, the diaconate, if you're, if you're uh, a man who aspires to be a deacon, you don't need to worry or fear that what you're going to do is... Um, is be asked to draw architectural drawings for what the new sanctuary might look like. 
uh, or plan budgeting for those things. And so we have a facility team that is responsible for those things, meeting with contractors, making designs, sitting down with the session separately and independently to talk about the vision that we have for Christ Covenant Church and her worship spaces and her additional spaces, and then working with the diaconate to make those things happen. Uh, so there's a, there's a symbiotic relationship there. The facility team is not independent of either the session or the diaconate, but it's separate. Um, so the diaconate works closely with them, ensuring that what the session casts and the facility team implements, the diaconate cares for and maintains. Lastly, meetings and communication. A deacon will be appointed by the session as the lead over each of the five major areas listed above. That deacon will report directly to the session regarding his area of focus once a month at the session business meeting. The deacons can be physically present at the meeting or can dial in by phone to give their update. Uh, Sometimes that update comes through the minutes that we receive from uh, DeWitt, who is the elder over the diaconate. Uh, Once per quarter, we will have a joint officer vision meeting where the deacons and elders will meet together. Those are, frankly, just to to say it uh, so you guys know, those are some really wonderful times of prayer and fellowship between the session and the diaconate. I love when we do joint meetings and we pray together for each other and for Christ's covenant church. This meeting is an opportunity for the deacons to understand more fully the vision being cast by the session and also to provide feedback or input. So, uh, Quite possibly for the first time in the history of my adult life, we're early. Um, So I want to give you a chance to ask any questions. Don't feel the need to fill up seven minutes with questions, but if you have them, shoot. Um, Once again, this book, Alexander Strauch, Paul's Vision for the Deacons, is great. It's short. Um, He's got a, a, a wonderful appendix at the end. I think it's Appendix 7. Um, uh, no, it's not Appendix 7. It's just an appendix on, uh, related to Chapter 7 on the deacons' wives, uh, that terminology that's used, the women, let the women also be, and so forth in First Timothy. This book by Van Dam is also really good. Um, I, I want to read, I wanted to read this one line for you before I let you go from the introduction. It's his definition. He says, stated briefly, deacons are those charged with the ministry of mercy to show the love of Christ by providing for the poor and afflicted. I hope that that stirs something in you. Some of you who think to yourself, the Lord may be calling me to the office of deacon. And we want to help you evaluate that. We want to ask that you're prayerfully seeking the Lord's face in this matter, wrestling with the qualifications in 1 Timothy Uh, chapter 3, reading stuff like this in our our position paper and asking yourself if that's true of you. If If this gets you, deacons are charged with the ministry of mercy to show the love of Christ by providing for the poor and afflicted. That's a good sign. Liking that definition is not a qualification for deacon, but I think it's a good definition. Any questions for me before I let you guys go? Yes, Dr. Olson. Ben, let me do this. Let me turn this off. Let me pray. 
so that way I can end, because this is being recorded, so I'm going to end our time in prayer for folks who are listening online, and then we'll, we'll bat that question around privately off the internet. Uh, so we'll come back to that in just a second. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your care for the church, for Christ's love, his sympathy and service to his church. Uh, what a, an amazing image it is that he gets down on his knees and disrobes down to his undergarments to wash the feet of his disciples. And then later on in, in the gospel, uh, in a different gospel, he says that he will serve us around the table when we recline with him in heaven. He's the ultimate servant-hearted man. The greatest example for men who aspire to the office of deacon to look to. He's full of the spirit and of wisdom. And so I pray, Lord, for the men here and those who aren't here this evening who do think that this may be in the future that you're putting this call on their hearts, um, that it would be affirmed by uh, godly men and by the congregation, that they would find themselves by the grace and power of your spirit qualified for such a task as this, that they would really reconcile in their minds the weightiness of it and yet the, the joy in participating in the life of ministry in Christ's church. Uh, help us to think well about these things, Lord. I pray for the guys who aren't here tonight, for those who will be traveling out to Bon Clark in this weekend for the family worship conference, especially uh, for Neil as he'll be speaking there. Would you give him words to speak with passion, power, clarity, and conviction, as our dear brother Sonny likes to say. Thank you for these men and their faithfulness to attending these meetings and sitting and listening to long lectures about uh, some drier topics than others, Lord. Thank you for their commitment and the desire to be here. Would you help us steward them and their, um, their desire to serve well? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.